Bibles this evening, Philippians chapter 4. We'll read the first three verses of Philippians 4 in just a moment. When my dad called me about a month, month and a half ago and said he wanted to do that year in a week, the immediate hang-up in my mind was, how do you preach, where do you preach from the book of Philippians on a Mother's Day subject? When I asked my dad that, he said, well, I guess you could preach on Yodius and Syntyche on Mother's Day. And I said, no way, Dad, am I going to preach on Yodius and Syntyche on this Mother's Day service, which was Monday night uh, of the conference out there at the church where Dad pastors. And then God began to convict me about uh, dismissing out of hand using that text. And then I began to study, and then the Lord really began to convict me because there are some wonderful truths here that I believe will actually, though on the surface, many times you come to this this passage and you kind of read over the top of it, and it's about two ladies that can't get along, and Paul's saying, get along, would you? And then he says to this guy, uh, this true yoke fellow, help him get along. Get this thing straightened out. That's how we communicate it. Uh, But when you dig into it, it's actually a different attitude than that. And so I'm really glad the Lord kept after me uh, because I believe it was a help on Monday night there and will be a help to us this evening. Notice, if you would, chapter 4, verse number 1, therefore. Now, again, remember, just like we said about the wherefore at the beginning of verse 12, chapter 2, when we see the word therefore here, we're to refer back to what was said before. And uh, the idea in verses 20 and 21, as you remember from this morning, is because we're looking, our conversation is in heaven. We have this heavenly citizenship, and Jesus is coming from there, and he's going to change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Because of our future hope, therefore, is the idea, verse number one, my dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, He's referring forward to the judgment seat of Christ when the Philippians, because of how they responded to the gospel and had been formed into a church, they were going to be like a crown on Paul's head, his joy. It's as if he, if I can picture it this way, it's as if he's looking forward to getting to the judgment seat of Christ and saying, Lord, would you look at what your grace did in the lives of these people? And uh, something of a crown, if you would, a victor's crown and joy. And then he says to them, so stand fast in the Lord. It's the idea of this soldier planting his feet and standing firmly. So stand fast. And then the second time he refers to them as my dearly beloved. And there's an individual focus. It's as if he's thinking of every member of that church when he uses the term twice, my dearly beloved and longed for. It's as if names are running through his mind. He's not just saying this generically or corporately. He's referring to them individually. Verse number two, I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord, the same way of thinking. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. And he's referring back to Yodius and Syntyche. The pronoun those is referring back to those two ladies that Paul mentioned in verse number two. Help those women which labored <coughs> with me in the gospel. With Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. I want to preach a message this evening entitled, In Praise of Good Women. In Praise of Good Women. Let's ask the Lord's help. Father, would you strengthen our hearts as we uh, seek to, uh, in the mold of the Lord Jesus and in following the pattern of the Apostle Paul, both of these uh, to uplift 
to exalt the place of women. And as not only individual believers, but as a local church to determine to honor and to protect and to utilize the gift of good godly women to a local church and then the giftedness of women, uh, the spiritual gifts that have been given to them for uh, their role in the local church. And so, Lord, I pray for your help tonight. I pray that the ladies would be encouraged and I pray that all the rest of us would be challenged to do everything that we can as believers and members or part of this local church to honor, to protect, and to utilize the good gift direct from your hand of the women that you've placed in our lives. And I pray these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. As I started digging in this passage, something that I began to notice very early was Paul's attitude, his approach. His approach is actually very gentle. As you compare it with how he approached conflict in other churches and other situations, his approach is very gentle. You see that in verse number one. He uses twice the term dearly beloved and longed for joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And there's an attitude or a spirit of goodwill. Based on the way that Paul is writing in the spirit of this passage of Scripture, there's an attitude of goodwill. There's a hope that this situation, even though we won't know till we get to heaven what it was, that was between Iodius and Syntyche, there's, there's an attitude here that the Apostle Paul is very hopeful as he thinks about these women, as he thinks about the situation in the church at Philippi. And whatever this issue was that they were not of the same mind in the Lord, Paul is hopeful. And Paul also, in referring to them as these women which labored with him in the gospel, is implying tremendous gratitude for his relationship with these ladies and the tremendous asset benefit that they had been to him 10 years earlier when he had first come to Philippi. They too likely would have believed the gospel and then would have rolled up their sleeves. The word that he uses here is a very strong word when he refers to their having labored with him in the gospel. So Paul's approach, and then notice how he finishes verse number three. He puts them in the class of whose names are in the book of life. These ladies are going to be in heaven, and it's almost as if by mentioning the book of life, Paul is saying, listen, we're all going to be in heaven together anyway. So, so view whatever this situation is through the lens of the fact when we stand in the presence of the Lord, by His grace, finding our names for sure written in the Lamb's book of life, when we stand there, whatever this problem is, is going to pale in significance to that. Okay. And listen, every problem that we face, turmoil, conflict, should be viewed in the light of the fact. You remember what Jesus told the disciples when they came back praising God that even the demons are subject to them. Jesus said, listen, don't, don't get all excited about the fact that demons are subject. The big thing you need to be rejoicing about is that your names are written down in heaven. And so Paul's approach, there's a gentleness to it, a magnanimity, a goodwill, a gratitude to it as well. And then I noticed as well how he analyzed the problem, and we'll look at that in more detail in a moment, his appreciation for these two ladies, and then his assurance that they were all going to be in heaven together. And so here's a, an important introductory statement. From creation to the church, one of the greatest tokens of God's goodness both to creation and the church, is good womanhood. It was not the women followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who were often mercenary and selfish in their motives and argued about who would be the greatest. And by the way, men, I'm not haranguing you tonight, okay? It was not the women followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who denied that they ever knew him. 
It was not the women followers of Christ who betrayed him. It was not the women followers and disciples of Christ that scattered from him like a flock when the shepherd was smitten. It was not the women followers of Christ who were conspicuously absent at the foot of his cross with the exception of the Apostle John. It was the women followers who were first at his empty tomb in spite of the risk. Paul consistently, and the Lord Jesus himself, they consistently uphold the value of women. And even in this mild, loving rebuke to these two ladies who he names individually, he is upholding their value to the work of Christ and to the local church. By my observation, and again, that's subjective, but by my observation of Paul's epistles and the recorded historical interaction and history behind some of these churches that we also see epistles written to, there's no church, best I can tell, which illustrates the place and the importance of women in the local church like the history and the epistle to the Philippians. Now, you go to the book of Romans, and the very last chapter is a long list of names, but in a lot of ways, that's all it is, is a list of names. Okay. But here, in the history of the church at Philippi, when you take Acts 16 and you take the book of Philippians together, there is an emphasis placed upon the importance of women in the local church like no other New Testament epistle. We've all heard it said before that behind every good woman or good man is a... Good woman. And some have even taken it further than that and said behind every good man is an even better woman. I would say this, that integral to a good New Testament church are the good and godly women who are in that church. Because of that, a local church should honor the place of women in the church, God's design for them. Because of that, a local church should protect it's women. Because of that, a local church should utilize the gift of women given to them by God. As I go all the way back to creation, and I think about creation, its completion up to day six, and the Lord looked at it and said it was good. But then when he saw man was alone, he said it is not good. And then he created woman, and then his culminating conclusion was, behold, it is very good. As we think about the local New Testament church, and in particular look at the church at Philippi, I notice, number one, we should honor, protect, and utilize the gift of women to the local assembly because, as we look at Philippi in particular, women figure prominently in the history and the life of this church. They figure prominently. Now, though Lois and Eunice's names are not mentioned in Philippians, they are mentioned in 2 Timothy as the mother and the grandmother of Timothy, who was integral in the life of the church at Philippi. You remember he was a teenage boy that would have been there when the church was founded. Philippians chapter 2, Paul indicates that he's hoping to get there, but in the meantime, he's going to send Timothy 10 years later back to minister to this church. And so this church has benefited and will yet benefit from the valuable ministry of a young man named Timothy. And there would have been no Timothy had there not first been a Lois and a Eunice. A godly grandmother and a godly mother who were instrumental in shaping a young man who would have a profound influence on the church at Philippi. 
And then back in Acts chapter 16, you remember, I believe we could say that she was one of the charter members, but this wealthy businesswoman, Lydia, from Thyatira, was present at those prayer meetings of ladies down at the river near Philippi. She would trust Christ as Savior, and she would say to Paul in Acts chapter 16, if you've judged me faithful, would you please come and stay in my home? Her house believed and were baptized, and she became an integral part a vital part, a foundational, I could say, charter member of the church at Philippi. As you continue to read in Acts chapter number 16, you find as well the story of this young damsel, demon-possessed, but then delivered. And we would assume she, after being delivered of demonic possession, trusted Christ as Savior, and she too would become a foundational member or part of the church at Philippi. I think about the jailer's wife. We teased a little bit about her this morning. Can you imagine her husband getting her up in the middle of the night to help him bathe the wounds of Paul and Silas and then her fixing them a meal and then listening to Paul preach the gospel and in the middle of the night the whole family gets saved and Paul baptizes them and she becomes the fellowship coordinator for the new local church. A woman of hospitality. And And you think about it, she was a pagan. She didn't have any standard of Christian hospitality. And so I think it says something by implication of her personality that in the middle of the night, her gruff soldier husband could get her out of bed and say, we got to bathe these guys' wounds. And can you imagine knocking the sleep out of her eyes and rolling out, getting up in the middle of the night, fixing them a meal when they didn't have microwaves and ovens? fixing Paul and Silas a meal. And then these two ladies that are named here in chapter 4, Iodias and Syntyche. So as it relates to the church at Philippi and its history in the book of Acts, by my observation, it seems to me that there are more ladies named in connection with a church and description given about character and work than any other New Testament church. So that we could say this, that as a woman completes a man in a home, So good women complete a local church. There would have been no church at Philippi as we know it without these women. I think about my own memories of the church where we were just last week, the church of my boyhood. I think about the ladies of this church as well and how so many of our best memories about what God has done here and what God has done in other churches are connected to faithful women of God. I still, as a 15-year-old boy, I can remember back to coming home after working a summer at camp and a group of ladies in the church that my dad pastors, and all these ladies are in heaven now. Many of them had corresponded with me. I was so homesick that summer, I thought, I'm going home and nobody's ever calling me away again. I miss mom. Mom and a, a mother of a good friend of mine who had talked me into going to work for three months at that camp to start with, I think I'm still getting over that one. But those dear ladies in the church who had only known us for about a year and a half, as it were, corresponded with me, sent me cards all summer long. I was several times a week getting cards from these ladies that we'd only known a year and a half or so. And I'll never forget pulling back into Little Wayland, Missouri, and the maple trees, the church parsonage, and then the brick church building, and the maple trees, about six or eight of them down the front in a row along the street, all had a yellow ribbon tied around them as a welcome home. The impact of those ladies, the prayer of those ladies, the faithfulness of those ladies to encourage 
not just pastor's kids, but all the young people in that church to serve the Lord and to keep their eyes on Jesus and really became living testimonies of the hands of Christ, the voice of Christ, the heart of Christ. I want you to notice, secondly, that we should honor, protect, and utilize the gift of women to the local church, not only because they figure prominently in a church like Philippi, but number two, because they, in being given to the local church, you ladies, in being given to the local church, you fill out the church body completely, and we've already touched on this. I think about Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. We're close to there. Just go back to Galatians, just a few epistles back to the left in your Bibles. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now we could preach a whole message on that, but it's interesting. For you are all Jew and Gentile who've trusted Christ as Savior, bond and free, you're all male and female. You're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. It's important for men to remember that while God has designed for the sake of order in a local church, He's designed roles and function. When we think about the office of pastor and the office of deacon, believing the Bible clearly teaches that those are for men only. And yet so many other things that ladies can do that men can't do. We'll see that here in just a few moments. But when it comes to the kingdom of God of which the local church is an embassy on earth, if I can say it that way. You're all children of God. No man has a greater standing as a child of God than do the ladies. Verse 27, For as many of you have been baptized, have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither, what, male nor female, for you're all one. Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Equal, yet different in function and in flow within the life of the local church. We could ask it this way as a question. What would Philippi have been without the consistency of Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice? Day in and day out. In a a home with an unsaved daddy faithfully teaching the word of God to little Timothy so that he could be wise into salvation from the time he was an infant in his mama's arms. Consistency when it wasn't easy, and yet the product was a Timothy. What would the church at Philippi have been without the confidence of a businesswoman named Lydia, who obviously, in order to be involved in the industry and the business that she would, Uh, was not only had to be a woman of confidence, but a woman of competence as well. What would the church at Philippi have been without the hospitable care of the former jailer's wife? What would the church at Philippi have been, and again, a little bit of presumption here, but without the compassion of a delivered damsel? Though we don't know all the details and the backstory of this damsel and the what her history was and what her ministry or life would have been like in the church at Philippi, I can tell you that though we don't know specifically about her, many of us have had interactions with women who've been delivered out of addictions, who've been delivered out of these kinds of things. And one of the things that I've noticed in a majority of the cases is that women like this have a compassion for people who've experienced injustice. They have a heart for that, like others who've never experienced it. 
can have. So we can suppose a compassion from this delivered damsel. What would Philippi have been without the commitment of a Neodius and a Syntyche that Paul references here? Paul says of them in verse number three that these are two women which labored with him in the gospel. The word labored is the same word used in Philippians chapter one and verse 27 and following where Paul said, uh, spoke to the church at Philippi about striving together. It's that team sport where every member of the team has a vital role, an equal role in conquering the opponent and achieving victory. And Paul says that these two ladies were those which in the past had labored with him. The, the word literally means to athlete together with him. They wrestled together with Paul against a common opponent. And the very use of the word implies inequality. Paul's not saying that these women preached. Okay. But what he is saying and referring to them as those which labored with him in the gospel is that their job in the grand picture of the life and the effort of the local church, their role was just as important as anybody else's. It's significant to me that there are evidences of that further in the text. Chapter two and verse, or chapter four and verse number two. Notice what he does. He doesn't class Eodius or put them together, just addressing them as two women. He doesn't say, I beseech Eodius and Syntyche. But he says, I beseech Eodius. He addresses them individually. I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche. And interestingly enough, in the original, he says it this way Eodius. I beseech, and Syntyche, I beseech. In the original Greek, when whatever word was at the front of a sentence was there for the sake of emphasis, he is appealing to these two ladies by their name, and then he doesn't beseech them collectively, he beseeches them individually. <coughs> Furthermore, the word beseech that he uses is a word that was that was used in the context of beseeching or pleading with someone that you viewed as an equal, not a subordinate. So when he says, I beseech you, Odious, and I beseech you, Syntyche, he's beseeching them as equals in the work of the gospel. Now, what is interesting, if you notice verse number three, when he addresses this true yoke fellow, and he said, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, uses a completely different word that implies or speaks of beseeching almost with an authority and a, a, a subordinate. In other words, he's saying to the true yoke fellow, whatever his name was, commentators have guessed they've even made up a name. <laughs> Reading into this text more than is there. But when he says, I entreat thee, he's the same as telling this guy what to do. From the standpoint of his apostolic authority, but when he addresses Iodius and Syntyche, he's doing so as an equal. He puts them in the class of being a fellow laborer, the end of verse number three. Paul, though, before he writes the letter to the Philippians, he gets word of the conflict, the disagreement that is developed between two good women. He does not call them Jezebels. He calls them by their given name. Eodius, her name means prosperous journey. Syntyche, a lady whose name means pleasant acquaintance. 
And you remember that in the first century, many times a person's name was a reflection of their character or how others viewed them. Remember, Barnabas was called the son of consolation because he was an encourager. But a conflict arises between two good women. And as I look at this passage of Scripture, I realize that this conflict, in a sense, resulted from what, if I can say it this way, from a good, original quality. What is it? I notice, thirdly, we should, as a local church, honor and protect and utilize the gift of women to the local church, not only because they figured prominently and not only because they fill out completely the church body, but thirdly, we should utilize and protect and honor the place of women because women between the two genders are those which God has made who feel deeply. Now get this. It's not that there aren't some men who don't feel deeply. And I understand that this is a generalization, but... Generally speaking, it is women who feel more deeply than men. And ladies, I'm not saying this in any way to criticize. You are, generally speaking, more emotional than men. And I'm saying that as an honor to the Creator for making you the way that He did. Okay? Maybe you've seen this before. A marriage counselor slash comedian by the name of Mark, I believe it's Gungor, captured one of the fundamental differences between the way a man thinks and the way a woman thinks years ago. In his uh, marriage counseling spiel that is pretty funny to watch, actually, the title of it is The Nothing Box. And he likens a man's brain to a collection of boxes and how everything is to be kept separate from everything. A man has a box for his wife, and it better be a good big one. He has a box for his children. He has a box for his job. He has a box for his family, his parents. He has a box for his in-laws, and he better take good care of that one too. Okay. He has a a box for everything. He has a box for his hobby. He has a box for his job. And then this marriage counselor, Mark Gungor, he says, and then a man has a nothing box, and it's the man's favorite box. And he'll go to that nothing box every chance he gets. And it explains, so Mark Gungor says, it explains why a man can do something completely mindless for hours on end like fishing and be perfectly content. It's why a wife can say to a man, what are you thinking? And he says, nothing. Nothing. I read a funny meme this afternoon. The wife spends more time thinking about or wondering what her husband thinking than he actually spends thinking. (laughs) But then he describes the woman's brain as a ball of wire driven by an energy called emotion. And that ball of wire pictures the fact that for the woman, whereas in the man's brain, everything is, and you don't mix anything, and you only take out one box at a time. But the woman, in her brain, everything is connected to everything. Okay? The job is connected to the dog, is connected to the kids, is connected to the in-laws. And it's all driven by this energy called emotion. We can laugh about it, but it's for real. Amen? Okay. As it relates to the women who interacted with the Lord Jesus Christ... You don't have to look too far. 
to see in how women worshipped Christ and how women ministered to Christ. That their emotion is definitely more keen in how they worship and how they ministered. You think of an unnamed sinner woman not caring what anybody thought, a woman who likely had a history as a prostitute, but hearing of the love of Jesus Christ, penetrating into a feast thrown by a Pharisee, and there at Jesus' feet, she broke ointment on his feet and washed his body and his feet with her tears and wiped his hair with her tears as she wept out of gratitude because she had been forgiven much. I believe in the chronology, Mary of Bethany followed that woman's suit. Her example in in the Gospel of John, we read of Mary of Bethany doing a similar thing, taking that alabaster box full of ointment that was the equivalent of an annual salary. And in one extravagant act of worship, breaking that alabaster box open, never to collect it again, and pouring it out as a testament to her love for Jesus. We see Mary Magdalene outside the empty tomb, staying when all others had left, and mistaking Jesus for being the gardener. Just tell me where you've taken my Lord, and I'll carry his body away. I heard one commentator, read one commentator years ago. He said, that is just like a good woman. She'll commit to doing something like that, even though there's no way she could ever carry a dead body away. But sitting there weeping outside the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has made the woman more emotional than the man, and that is not bad. Men, may I say, we need that. In the home, we need it in the church. A church would seem more like a mechanics shop or a science lab if not for the balancing presence of women in the church and in the home. Men see, women feel. Men solve, women empathize. Men fix, women nurture. And so women feel deeply. Because of that, a church needs to honor, protect, and utilize their gift to the local church. But I want you to see this fourth and final reason why this should be the case in a church. Because women feel deeply, they fight passionately. And I mean this in no way as a criticism. The Bible (laughs) uses the image of a she-bear robbed of her whelps. Don't mess with mama's cubs. Before we went out to the Midwest, we were standing in the kitchen and one of the kids called out that there's a mama bear and three cubs in the backyard. Sure enough, mama bear and three cubs. One of the cubs was even playing on Elena's swing out in the woods. They They were just having an afternoon and evening out in the backyard, meandering up the slope behind the house, and the three little cubs just kind of tinkering along behind them. We stood there. I've got video, two and a half minutes of Mama Bear and her cubs. Because the Bible warns about messing with the she-bear robbed of her whelps, we stayed on the porch. 
Why? Because ladies, when they feel deeply about something, they fight passionately for it. Do you remember Sarah Palin's description years ago when she described the difference between a soccer mom and a grizzly bear? She said the only difference between a soccer mom and a grizzly bear? Lipstick. We use the term in the military world, MOS, Military Occupational Specialty. It's meant to describe a soldier's specific responsibility. God has gifted women to fight passionately for what they feel deeply. And we need to recognize that. And Paul recognized that in the tenderness with which he dealt with these two ladies. I believe their motive, and I'm going to try and prove this to you. I believe the motive of Iodius and Syntyche and whatever this disagreement was that has them not being of the same mind in the Lord that brought on this admonition. By the way, literally Paul's admonition to them is one and a half verses in a sense. Between verse number two and then half of verse number three where he tells this true yoke fellow, would you help them take care of this problem? As opposed to 1 Corinthians where the whole book is dealing with mess after mess, okay? I believe it's an indication that, comparatively speaking, this was a small and, may I say, a problem that had developed out of good intentions by these two ladies. One commentator I read said this, that it's really a testimony, just a verse and a half of confrontation to these two ladies is really a testimony to the purity and the godliness of the church at Philippi as a whole. And the commentator made this point. He said, the more sensitive a church is to Christ and being like Christ, the more keenly they'll feel even the slightest issue of disagreement or disunity. Think of it. In your eye, as tender as it is, it only takes a microscopic grain of sand to be an irritation. Say, we've got to get that out. And here's a good church, Philippi, unlike a Corinth that was just shot through with mess and carnality. Here's a good church, Philippi. And it's significant and important that this problem be dealt with early. But I want to mention this, not only their MOS, but the motive of these ladies. I believe that the issue that was dividing these two ladies was not a personal issue but it was an issue that was related to the well-being of the church and how these two ladies were perceiving differently how the issue needed to be resolved, not for their own sakes, but for the well-being of the church. You say, Pastor, why do you say that it was a, a, an issue that divided them that where their motive was the well-being of the church as opposed to a personal issue? Because, first of all, of their past reputation. These were women who were known for those who had labored with Paul in the gospel. They had, can I say this, rolled up their sleeves in the early days and as team members had carried their weight and had made great sacrifice, sweat, blood, and tears in order for people to be saved and for this church to be planted. These were women who by their past history were not self-centered. They felt deeply about this issue, whatever it was, and because of that, they were fighting passionately for what they believed was the good of the church. 
Also, Paul admonishes them to get the mind of the Lord. He admonishes them that they be of the same mind in the Lord. These ladies are believers. And I also notice this, too. Look, if you would, at verse number 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. What's the word? Help. Whoever this nameless man is, Paul entreats them, entreats him to help those women. The implication is help them get this issue resolved. And the word help that Paul uses here is a very specific word. It's a word that speaks of or pictures this true yoke fellow literally putting his hand to the same plow or the same labor that other people were already working at. The implication is this is that these two ladies, because of their spiritual discernment and their testimony and their faithfulness, realized that this issue, though motivated by good intentions for the church, this issue that was dividing them was starting to affect the church as a whole. And they had enough spiritual perception to see this and were already, though blindly groping a little bit, they were already... By the use of this word help, they were already trying to reconcile it. They were just needing a third party to step in and help. They were already working at it. And Paul tells this true yoke fellow, this third party, this objective man in the church, he says, listen, I want you to help them. They're already working that direction now. You put your hands to the yoke and you help them get work through this. The implication is is that they were already making the effort Paul tells this man, true yoke fellow, to take hold of the issue and assist in a work that was already being done. They just needed a mediator. And it's a testimony to the fact that these ladies were not divided over some kind of personal issue, but they were divided over an issue where their goal, their motive was what they perceived to be the good of the church. Something they felt deeply about, they were fighting passionately for. And I believe that that perspective is what moderated Paul's confrontation. It was something that really began as a good quality in womanhood. And so as we move to a conclusion, we think about Paul's approach, the gentleness of it, the goodwill of it, the gratitude of it, his analysis of the situation. You say, Pastor, what was it? I have no idea. By the way, let's just trust the Spirit of God on that. If he'd have wanted us to know what the situation was, he'd have brought it up. But he didn't. We can see very clearly Paul's appreciation for these two ladies, his testimony to their being an integral asset to the church in its history, its 10-year history. He closes the paragraph by the assurance that their names are in the book of life. We're all going to be in heaven together anyway. And so Paul even in a rebuke, teaches the value of women to a church as a generous gift of God, even in a rebuke, a very short rebuke. And he sets a pattern for all churches to honor, protect, and utilize the precious gift of womanhood. As I think about the importance of women, not only in the church, but in history, I'm reminded all the way back to the Garden of Eden When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and the earth was cursed and the serpent was cursed, that as the serpent was cursed, he was told that it was through the seed of woman that his head would be crushed. As if God would give the woman final vengeance through her seed 
the Lord Jesus Christ who would crush the serpent's head. And so ladies, we value you. We need you. God has wired you in unique and powerful ways that complete not just your husband, but complete your home and complete and complement this local church. But as we think about how you feel deeply over things that then motivate you to fight passionately for what you feel deeply, I would conclude by simply saying this, be sure that you're under the filling of the fruit or the filling of the Spirit of God and His fruit is being produced in your life. So that what you feel deeply and what you fight passionately for is under the control of God's Spirit. My dad has pastored the church at Wayland for 35 years next year. About six years before he became the pastor in 1988, that church was blown apart by a split. The church my dad now pastors. In the early 80s, that church suffered a terrible split. And when you trace it back, the split goes back to two women in the church who couldn't get along. And do you know that nearly 40 years later, a man in that church who's been there, who was part of the pulpit committee that called my dad to be pastor 34 years ago, a man came up and in conversation, he brought up that split. My, the, the pastor before my dad, he wasn't the one that was there when the split took place, but the pastor before my dad only kept ripping the scab off the wound and talking about those other people across town that had gone and started that other church that's a split off ours and those women that couldn't get along. And he just kept the, the, the scab ripped off the wound. Never let it heal. And dad said when he came as pastor, when I would have just been a 14-year-old boy, he said everything in that town was dated by that split. And he said I'd be out just as this almost innocent bystander talking to people. And he said, yeah, we know about that church. And yeah, we know people over at the other place. And he goes, and everybody came down on one side or the other. And it just struck me that 40 years later, a town is still talking. Now, thank God, most of those people are in heaven off the scene and a lot of healing has taken place. But 40 years later, People are still talking about a split that took place in a church where two ladies couldn't get along. You say, Pastor, that's not an encouraging way to close this message. I'm just saying this, that it's natural. Whether it's ladies or men, it's natural for us to look differently at things. You agree? It's natural for us. Let's just be sure that in looking differently at things, we make sure that we're striving to have the same mind in the Lord. And that we teach the succeeding generations how to work through these things. And so here are two dear ladies that were already working in that direction. Paul says to this true yoke fellow, help them out, would you? Because if the help doesn't come, the consequences can be decades in being repaired. Ladies, I thank God for you. I'm grateful. In a couple Sundays, we'll be 12 years old, Crossroads Baptist Church will. 
And I thank God for the ladies that have played such a vital role in the life of this church. And may we continue to do so. In Crossroads Baptist Church, may we honor, protect, and utilize the women that God has given to us. Father, thank you for your word this evening. I pray that you'd help us be encouraged and to be admonished as well to deal with our differences and our struggles God's way and make sure that we are filled with the Spirit of God and His fruits being produced in our lives. And Lord, we'll meet Yodius and Syntyche one of these days. And so we want to be sure and handle them with love as we tell their story, little of it that we know. And yet I pray that you'd help us to learn vital lessons from them as we move forward as a local church in the 21st century. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Judson, come lead us in a closing song. We sang this this morning, but I think it's very appropriate. Not only should this describe the heart of every lady, but the heart of all of us as believers. Make me a blessing.